You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Welcome. If you're new, uh, my name is Morgan. I'm, a, I'm the lead pastor here at Mosaic. And as you can see, we're in the middle of something called You Have a Part to Play, where we're taking a look each week at different cultural conversation points and seeing how we can be perhaps even difference makers in those conversations, in those spaces. And so far, we've looked at stuff like fame culture. We looked at homelessness. Last week, we looked at creation care. And this week, I am totally going to hand the ball off to somebody else as we talk about politics. So I'm going to step out of the way and allow an expert, I mean, uh, yeah, to, uh, to rescue me from would-be tacklers after the service. No, today we're talking about politics. It's going to be as good as you, you hoped it, it could be. Uh, we're really honored today to have someone uh, here with us to talk about this topic who is a difference maker in our world today, in our political world, globally even. Uh, his name is Stephen Mansfield. He's a prolific author and writer and speaker. He's written many, many books, historical biographies, uh, a number of books, including The Faith of George W. Bush, The Faith of Barack Obama. Obama, taking a look at what candidates' faith claims are, and so uh, we're excited to have him. Uh, he also travels internationally. He consults with other nations and public policy uh, on, in religious freedom. He's going immediately here from uh, from our time together to over to the Middle East. Perhaps you've seen in the news what's happening with Iran and Iraq, and he's flying into that hot spot there, and he's being a voice for the Kurdish people. Some of you have heard about what God's doing among Kurdish people, that oppressed people group in the world. Stephen is a, a voice and an advocate for them. He travels, he consults, he speaks. He's also part of our Every Nation spiritual family, which is a really cool thing. Uh, His senior pastor in Washington, D.C. is a leader in the African-American community named Brett Fuller. Perhaps some of you know that name. But anyway, we're honored to have you, Stephen. Thank you for being here. He was here three years ago. Somehow, we arm twisted him and he's come back. So he liked us good enough to come back, which we're excited about. So will you please, please, please warmly welcome our honored guest this morning, Stephen Mansfield. Appreciate you. Good afternoon. How are you? When I go to heaven, I want Morgan to introduce me to God. Because I'll probably get into heaven and he might go to hell for lying. I'm not sure. Just a little, you think, maybe? That's bad theology, isn't it? Bad theology. Because Morgan hates me, I'm going to be talking about politics here this morning. Um, And I don't want to talk about. Uh, what's happening today. You know, I'd love some other time go to lunch. We'll talk about all the things that are happening. What I want to talk about is how, what is God's perspective on government and politics and the role we ought to play. Okay. So let's, let's, let's breathe deep, have some fun. Don't get nervous. Uh, and let's, and let's dive into some things. I want to read a scripture, start with a scripture that is uh, the foundation of the entire Western political legal tradition. Uh, it, it, is, it is that powerful. Now, it summarizes some things from the Old Testament I'll talk about in a minute. But, but this passage, Romans 13, 1 through 7, set up our entire understanding of the relationship between church and state and what the state ought to be about from a Christian perspective uh, all throughout Western history. Obviously, governments fell short of it. Societies fell short. But this was the vision. This was the thing that set it up. And so I want to to start here. And and, and I I got to say, it's a hard passage of Scripture to understand, and I'm not going to break it all out and and, and clear up all mysteries this morning. I'm going to talk about the stuff we're going to agree about, and I'm going to leave the stuff that you're likely to be upset about to your pastor. 
because that's what we pay him for, right? To deal with all the stuff. I'm coming in, dropping my bombs and leaving. I want him to have to deal with the caca, okay? So anyway, not really. So let me, let me dive in here. Romans 13, verse 1, reading through 7. And I am reading, by the way, from the New International Version, God's version of the Bible, okay? If you're using some communist version, that's okay. You go right ahead. But I'll be reading from the NIV, just so you know about... It may even differ from what's on the screen. I'm not sure what they decided to use there, but uh, I think all I did was give them the verses. So let's read together, and this is, this is the challenging passage of Scripture, I admit it, but let me break it out just a little bit, and then I'll have a few points for you on the other side. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants. That's the second time that's said. Agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, and not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants. Third time, that's said. Who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. And if honor, then honor. Now, this is a tough passage of Scripture. It's a tough passage of Scripture. But notice it's Scripture also. So there are things we have to, have to understand about it. Um, I want to tell you right up front that what this Scripture is what, is, what it is not saying is that God has established all government, and regardless of what they do, it's absolutely right. That is not what this verse is saying. I, I'll tell you personally that I would have marched with Cesar Chavez if I hadn't been, you know, three years old. Uh, I would have marched with Dr. King. I, I, I'm not trying to win favor or declare myself. I'm just saying I fully believe the scripture, but I also believe governments need to be corrected. Right? You've got to have reform movements. So I, I, would have, I would have worked with Nelson Mandela. I, I have a heart for South Africa. I wish I had been there to help in some way. So, so somehow... We Christians have to understand that governments aren't perfect and that there have to be reform movements. We celebrate reform movements all through history. You know, the end of slavery under Wilberforce and all of that. It was Christian action largely that brought that about. At the same time, what Romans 13 does for us is it tells us that government is not a secular thing. We sit and watch governments come together. There are elections, there are human actions, there are negotiations, there are bills and treaties. And we can see the whole thing as a messy, maybe sometimes corrupt human thing. But this scripture says God is involved in government. He establishes things. And it's really just a summary of what's been said all throughout the Bible up to this point. Okay, this is New Testament, but all throughout the Old Testament, think about what's said in the Old Testament. The Lord does as he wishes with the kings of the earth. The nations are like so much sand in, the, in, 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 a, in a bucket, it says. They're like a drop in a bucket. 
He guides the heart of kings like a watercourse. He sets one up and sets another down. He does as he wishes with the peoples of the earth. He's the Lord. He's God. He rules. And he orchestrates what happens. Now, now we see this is where we get into trouble. I'm not saying every bill, everything ever said, everything ever done, and every political system has been the will of God. Of course not. Because it's a bunch of stinking sinners just like we're a bunch of stinking sinners, right? Is there anybody in here who's not fallen? I don't see anybody with any wings or floating around. Okay, so, so we're all fallen, right? I'm fallen. We're all sinners. So the government's the same way. Still, what this scripture does for us is realize, help us realize that government is a realm which God is involved in. His will is being exerted. He's doing things. He's orchestrating things. He's raising one up and another down, uh, uh, setting another down. He's doing things. And, and, and this, this whole theme provides a lot of the backdrop of the Bible. I love the book of Obadiah, for example. Obadiah is great. Lord, Obadiah is a prophet, so he goes to the Lord. Lord, do you see what stinky sinners your people are? And the Lord says, yeah, I see it. I'm going to do something about it. Oh, Lord, what are you going to do? I'm going to bring the Babylonians to whoop up on them. God doesn't use the word whoop. That's me. But still, the Lord is going to bring the Babylonians. Now Obadiah is freaked out. Hold up, Lord. The Babylonians are worse sinners than your people. Yeah, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the stinky Babylonians to punish my stinky people, and then I'm going to publish to punish the Babylonians for messing with my people. And Obadiah does exactly what we have to do. He takes a step back and says, blessed are the ways of the Lord. You know? I mean, God has a job description. You know what it is? To do whatever he wants. Right? You have a job description. You know what it is? Your job is to know that God's God and you are not, okay? I'm not. So there's a, there are mysteries here I can't solve. There are mysteries here we can't, we can't fully figure out. At the one hand, we see that God is involved in government. He's establishing rulers. He's using the fallen government systems of men trying to bring about his purposes, right? And, and on the other hand, we see human processes involved. The main thing that we see here, though, is that, is that government is not a secular thing. This, this, this scripture, these seven verses, set up the entire basis of the church being a ministry of the Word and the Spirit of God, but the state being a ministry of justice. And so that, the whole, our founding fathers built on this basis. That doesn't mean there don't need to be reforms. That doesn't mean there don't need to be movements. Like I said, I would have marched with Dr. King. I would have marched with Cesar Chavez because the government needed to be reformed. It needs to be reformed today. doesn't mean that there can't be changes and human action doesn't mean anything. But what it means is that government and rulership and who's in charge and that whole realm is not a secular thing. It's not purely a product of corrupt human operations. God is involved. God is doing something. Aslan's on the move. Oh, see, I got more amens on the Aslan thing. I can tell. Now I know who you are. Now I know who you are. So I want to break out seven, seven principles about this. Um, uh, because three-point sermons are for Baptists. Okay? Um, um, I like to say that at Dallas Theological Seminary when I'm speaking there, so I thought I'd bring it up. But I have seven points because that's where the Spirit moves. On the seventh point is where the Lord reigns. So, no, I'm just messing. You can already tell I mess around a lot and probably too much. So I want to I talk about seven principles based on this. But let me just pause real quickly and, and say, I'm trying to be a biblical Christian. And it's tough to understand exactly what's being said in Romans 13. So... 
work with me and turn off offense systems. You know what I'm saying? Um, I want to affirm what the Bible says. At the same time, I know that some of the greatest movements in the history of the church reformed governments. So what we're not saying is, government's just the way God wants it, nothing should change. Of course not. But what we are saying is that God's establishing stuff. He's involved. And to be involved in government is to be working with God and participating with him and playing a role in league with him. That's, that's the main thing. Not that everything that's happening is perfect. I live in Washington, D.C. Trust me. I know that it's not perfect at all. Okay? The first thing I want us to understand is that we are called to be priests unto God. This is important. The book of Revelation says that we are a kingdom of priests. Let me tell you why this is important. Because the word priest in the Bible means guardians of the land. Guardians of the land. And this is important because you remember throughout the Old Testament, whenever something would happen, blood would be shed or, or somebody would commit a crime, the priests would rush out. They'd, they'd make, take care of it in the right way. They'd make the right sacrifices before God. They'd cover it in, a, in an atonement sense because they didn't want God to be offended. They wanted God's presence in the land. They were guardians of the land. They were safeguarders of the will of God. They stood before God and, and in an Old Testament sense said, your will be done on earth as it's being done in heaven, which is, of course, what we pray in the, in the Lord's Prayer. And so, so that, was, that was their role. Well, we, we may not have priests specifically in a new covenant faith. I mean, I'm not putting down Catholic priests and Episcopal priests. I'm just saying we may not have that specifically commanded. But, but what we are told is that we are priests, which means we are here to be guardians of the land. We are here to be here. We're here to be a people whose purpose is to see God's will done on earth as it's being done in heaven to the extent that we have any authority or control or impact. And the reason is very clearly described in Colossians 1.16. It says, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Austin was created for Jesus. Nashville, my, one of my hometowns, was created for Jesus. Even Dallas was created for Jesus. Bucksnort, Tennessee, an actual place, was created for Jesus. I don't mean that everything that's there is his will. I mean the idea that there'd be a city in that place is the will of God. And of course, sinful men and systems got in, messed up, did things. So every city is a contest between good and evil going on. We've got to play our role. We've got to be there as the priest caring about things, standing in the gap, praying about these things. We'll talk about in a minute. Uh, being uh, Caring about that. Being priests in the land. I love, I hope you know the name Daniel Stevens. He's a Every Nation pastor in uh, Midland, Odessa. He and I are very good friends. We work closely on some projects. All of a sudden in the schools uh, there in Midland, Odessa, they began to have a plague of suicides amongst the, young, the high school kids. Well, he didn't stand back and say with his church, well, that's the way the world is. You know, blessed be the Lord. May the Lord come back quickly. No. He said, this is our city. This city belongs to Jesus. We're not going to let this evil continue. He called together prayer. And then he put together a program to get volunteers and parents and people who weren't teachers and educators in the schools volunteering. The governor commended it. It turned the whole tide. The suicide stopped. Why? Because he was teaching his people to be priests in the land, to stand in the gap, to make a difference, right? Right? That's what it means when you're priests. 
you're there. It doesn't just mean that you're only doing the spiritual side, prayer and intercession. Great for that, absolutely. You'll hear me talk about it in a minute. But also that you step in and you, ad- you address issues and wounds and things that might offend or are contrary to the will of God because our purpose here is to pray and to see to the best extent we have, thy will be done on earth as it's being done in heaven. Now, there's not some special sign-up for this priesthood. When you got saved, you became one. We drafted you. We didn't tell you we were going to make you a priest. You became a priest. Okay? And being a priest means you're guardians of the land. And by the way, where God sovereignly puts you, positions you, that's where you're supposed to be a priest. So you care about Austin. You pray for Austin. You know it's corrupt and got problems and got challenges and got up. You know, drugs are being sold right now. People are being trafficked. We know that in every city. But, but, but this is your land. This is your place. And so you stand. You're not trying to take it over politically. Necess- I mean, I, we're not trying to take over anything. But we're trying to have influence. And we're trying to have his kingdom come. And we're trying to stand as priests. And we're trying to bring the good that we can bring. You, you follow what I'm saying. Why? Because Austin belongs to Jesus. And he wants it back. <laughs> you know what I mean? He wants, he wants it back. He wants his will done here because he loves people, because he doesn't want to see children abused, because he doesn't want to see women trafficked, because he doesn't want to see racial bigotry, and he doesn't want to see corruption in politics, and he doesn't want to see ignorance and poverty and hurt, and he doesn't want to see the arrogance of the wealthy and the poverty of the poor, all these things. And if you think I'm being left or right in what I'm saying right here, no, I'm being biblical. I'm talking about what the Bible talks about. You're not going to be able to figure out where I am politically today because I'm going to confuse you. But what I'm interested in doing... I'm not interested in being left or right or libertarian or socialist or whatever. I'm interested in being biblical and being, being godly in this system. When we stop thinking that politics is a secular realm, now we step in and we begin to cooperate with the Lord with the Lord and his will. So when you accept this priestly role, which, by the way, you just did if you hadn't before, then, then you've got to pray because it's commanded. It's commanded. Listen to this. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1 through 4. I urge then, first of all, that petitions and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people. What did it say? All people. Let's not even go any further, just for a moment. I'm Native American. I can't pray Native American prayers only. I don't mean in Native American languages. I mean just for Native Americans. We'll be praying for all people. You can't play black prayers. You can't play, pray white prayers. Ooh, it's quiet now. You can't, you can't, play, you can't p- pray Hispanic prayers, right? You've got to pray for all people. We're kingdom people. Let's deal with this race thing right now. Jesus can enthrone himself wherever he wants. You ever read the book of Revelation? Where does he dethrone himself? In the midst of a sea of every ethnicity and skin color and language and tribe and tongue, because that's where he wants to hang, because that's what the church is, because that's what he created. You've got to pray for all people. Let me go ahead and add more offense on top of that. You can't pray Republican and Democrat prayers. There is no such thing as a Democrat prayer. There's no such thing as a Republican prayer. And if you think you got off of it because you're independent, tough. There are no independent prayers either. I got you. I got you. For kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and spirit uh, and quiet lives uh, in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. Wow, a new thought. Who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. There's some connection between praying for God's will in government and the salvation of people. We can't be about evangelism. We don't care about government. Can I say that? We, if we, or maybe say it positively. We care about evangelism. Apparently there's some connection between praying for governments and interceding and being the priests we're called to be and the salvation of all people. Not that government's going to save them, but the conditions arise so that the salvation can be happening and evangelism can be happening. You've got to pray. You've got to pray. I'm not going away on this subject. Some of you are like, good, that's a great second point. Move off of it. No. 
praying like this is not just the role of women. Wouldn't a man said amen right there. Not a man in the room. Morgan let me down. Galen let me down. Wasn't a brother who had a brother's back in the whole room. It's not what you do if you are an intercessor. That type. You follow what I'm saying? It's what you do because you're a priest and you're called of God. You do it when you're driving your truck to work. You do it when you're working out. You do it in the bathroom. Whatever. You just pray. There's no special skill. There's no, there's no secret handshake or owner's card. You just pray. You just pray. Lord, help them. Lord, he's a knucklehead. Help our governor. Help our mayor. Whoever. I'm not, I'm not being specific. I don't know what's going on here. But I'm just saying, that's how I pray. Lord, they're all corrupt. It's crazy. Just help them. Come on, Jesus. Come on down on them. Or I used to pray strike them with lightning. But then the Lord, you know, I got saved and I had to stop that. Now, while I'm, while I'm being offensive, because I know this prayer thing, sorry, you've got to pray. You've got to pray for the people you don't like. You've got to pray for the people you want to die. You've got to pray for the people who offend you. You've got to pray, pray for the people who disgusted you in the news last night. Come on. Come on. Own it. we all got to do it. And it hurts me, because sometimes I have stood in the room with some of these people. Lord, deal with this man so I don't have to hit him. Lord, wow, this guy's a knucklehead. Man, a lot. Jesus, do you even love this man? Help him now, I pray. You know what I mean? You're just like, I don't even know how to pray, you know? But you got to pray. Okay, let me make it worse. If you're going to be a priest, if you're going to pray, if we're going to stand in the gap, if we're going to make a difference in our land, you can't speak evil of these people. And we've made a national industry of speaking evil. Now, I, I enjoy political humor. I enjoy preacher humor. I enjoy church humor. I, I, you can tell my style. I like to talk smack and have fun and mess around. It's kind of just the way I'm wired. Um, so I'm not, I'm not some, you know, snot no sin sniffing while well, you're bad kind of person. I'm just not that kind of person. But I, but I, I had to learn to behave myself. Listen, listen, listen to this story. Paul appears before the Sanhedrin. He says some things. The high priest is sitting there. Paul doesn't realize it. The high priest orders somebody to punch Paul in the face for what he's just said. Paul says, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law. And yet you violate the law yourself by commanding that I be struck. The guys around his guards and the other Sanhedrin step back and go, oh man, don't you know this is the high priest? You can't speak to him that way. Now, you would think that Paul would go, well, can too, but that's not what he did. He says, brothers, I did not realize that he was the high priest. For it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. He was quoting Exodus 22, verse 28, which says, don't blaspheme God or curse the ruler of your people. We've made a national industry of hate and anger and bitterness and evil speak about people we don't like politically. We've got to stop. It's not what priests do. Morgan is anointed by God to be your pastor, and, and God's on him. But suppose he went into a back room somewhere in this building with his staff and said, I hate these people. These people suck. I want, I, want, I want them to go away in another congregation to come here. I can't believe these people. They don't do what I ask them to do. They're terrible. They're mean. They're evil. They probably have demons. And he goes on like that for four or five hours. Now, now and he didn't say that. Last, no, that's not bad. He didn't. But... But I'm, 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 I'm mugging the tone that we sometimes take in politics. If Morgan was in that condition of heart, do you understand that that condition of heart would grieve the spirit that gives him the authority and the power to be your pastor in the first place? 
So when we speak that way, we're choking the priestly grace, the anointing of God, the gifts of God that we have to be able to intercede and pray and take our role. And we're cursing the very people that as priests in the land, guardians of the land, we're supposed to be blessing. I have a hard time with this. I'm a verbal guy. I, my, jo- my life is speaking and writing and, and, and so on. And, and I read Shakespeare and read Elizabethan literature. I fight with my wife in Shakespearean tones. I'll tell you what, I, I got like stilettos coming out of my mouth. I can rip you all up with my mouth. If I, I mean, I've had to learn to use my words to bless and not to curse. Because I can, I can curse in poetry, baby. I don't mean curse like cuss. I mean, you know, basically bring darkness on you and make it beautiful while I'm doing it. You know what I'm saying? That's just my gift. So I had to learn when I'm up on the hill or I'm working in politics, some of these people are on my last stinking nerve, as my grandmother used to say, and I want them to die. I want them to burn. I want them to be hit by lightning. I want to do it myself. I hang out with a lot of special forces guys in D.C. I want them to parachute into that committee room and off those people. I want these people to get out of my life. Are you feeling me? You understand? I'm, I'm as human as you are. I'm not, I didn't, I'm not an angel. I didn't just ascend here from heaven. I came through a process where I had to learn to bless and not curse. It's, it, makes, it makes all the difference in the world. So I love humor. I love to play. You can tell I love to have fun. I love to push the boundaries a little bit. But please give Jesus your tongue and, and, and let's break as the holy people of God from this uh, bitter, angry abusive culture that's arising in our news and arising in our D.C., arising in the places of politics, and it's destroying our country. Destroying our country. But it's not just about our country. It's about our role as priests. It's about who we are as priests. Don't speak evil of the ruler of your people. And by the way, it's exactly the stuff that works in your marriage. It's stuff that works with your children. You can't say, oh, I love my children. I love you, Joey. You know, you're awesome. You're a champion. You have a destiny. And then rip him up in anger when he spills the sugar. Taint his life. Damage his life. Destroy exactly what you said positively earlier. Can't do that. And that's what we're doing in these other areas. Don't speak ill. But you understand what I'm working towards here? I'm not just trying to say, don't do this. Don't do that. I'm trying to say, this is what priests do. It's, a, it's the priestly thing in your life that I'm trying to, 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 uh, to safeguard. Don't, don't intercede and pray and accept the priestly role and, and, and so on. And then, and, then, and then damage it by cursing and anger and bitterness and harshness. Damage it in your life and damage it in others' lives. Next one. And I'll move a little faster. Hear me that if you open up to this, this priestly calling and this priestly grace and you, you don't have a choice and you pray and you intercede and you bless and you tame your words and you start to stand in the gap like you're supposed to, then there's something that's going to begin to be true that you have to know and you have to walk out. And that is this. Say it to yourself. Say it to each other over lunch. God is always doing more than you know. He's always doing more than you know. We think because we have these awesome devices in our hands, these cell phones and these iPads and the instant news and so on, that, that, that we know exactly what's happening. You don't. The kingdom of God is not being reported on those devices. Stuff's happening you don't know about. Let me give you an example. I love the story in the Bible where Elijah is the prophet. It's the time of Ahab and Jezebel. They're persecuting Elijah. And I picture Eliza like Jim LaFoon. Uh, so Elijah is, is out there in the sticks He's, he's removed uh, from, from the people, and he thinks he's the only one left. He thinks he's the only righteous man left, the only prophet left. 
He, he says that in 1 Kings 18 and verse 22. He says, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. He's feeling self-pity. He's feeling isolated. In the very next chapter, 1910, he says, I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. He says it again four verses later. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. He thinks he's the only prophet in the land, right? But... In, the, in, in chapter 18, the chapter we just read where he says, I'm the only one left and Baal has all these prophets, it, the Bible tells us that Ahab, the evil king, has a palace administrator named Obadiah. It's not the, not the same one as the prophet of the book. And his name is Obadiah. And the, here's what the Bible says about him. This is exact, exactly from Scripture. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. Elijah didn't know it, but there was a devout believer of the Lord in the evil king's uh, palace. And here's what it says about him. It says that while Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, 50 in each, and had supplied them with food and water. Elijah's over here going, Lord, there's none righteous, no, not one. I'm the last one I'm left. I'm not sure it was pride. I think he really felt that. Turns out the palace administrator is a, a believer, a righteous person, a devout, devoutly committed to God, and he's protecting a hundred prophets, Right? Why? Because there's stuff. God is doing stuff nobody knows. God's doing something, right? That's Texas style. God's doing something. There's things happening. God's on the move. Aslan's on the move. Things are happening we don't know about. And when we think we know because we got the CNN feed or the Fox feed or the MSNBC feed or the you know, Communist Party of America feed or whatever it is you're watching or listening to, we're wrong. And if we make judgments based on that, we miss what God might be doing and might want to use us to do. God is always doing what I have stood in D.C. At a, at a Capitol Hill prayer meeting where two people who had fought viciously on television went together, grabbed each other's hands, knelt at the altar, prayed. Their tears were falling together on the floor. I was three feet away. You would have thought these two people would have walked into a room and the magnetic opposition would have sent them out of opposite windows. That's how much they hated each other. But they were praying together for the nation with tears falling out of their eyes. I saw it with my own eyes. And there's a whole lot of stuff, of course, I don't know that's going on. That's something God, God was doing. You didn't know it because the press isn't going to report it, but God is doing more than you know. I'm saying that to be encouraging to you, but I'm also saying it so that we're careful not to assume we know everything that's going on. Some of the people in the press that you hate, God's reaching to them. You know? I'm going to take a quick, quick, little, quick little paragraph. You know this Varsity Blues scandal where these wealthy parents paid for kids to get into college? Okay, disgusting. Absolutely. At the same time, whenever I see repentance and humility, I, I look for God to do something. And one of the actresses, I don't know her, I'm not promoting her, but Felicity Huffman is an actress. She's one of the parents who did this. She's actually spent some weeks in jail. But her attitude has been total abject repentance. I did it. It was wrong. It was evil. I deserve whatever the judge gave me. I, I need help. Uh, please pray for me. That's what she's, I'm watching for God to do something. Not because she's an actress or famous or rich, but because when you respond to judgment with total humility and repentance, God goes on the move. That happens like that on the hill too. Even politicians can be saved. Can you believe it? <laughs> Jesus even loves them, right? But guys, but guys you, 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 all, you know that all through history, somebody thought somebody else couldn't be saved. Somebody thought somebody else couldn't be saved. I mean, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, my doctorate's in history, so I can take you back to when majority of white folks in America didn't think blacks had souls, or even had spirits, could be saved. Ridiculous, right? Or I'm Native American. I think I may have said that already. Have I said it in the service? There, there, I, I did, maybe I did it in the other 19 services that have already had. Um, I'm going to get all my shots in right now. Um, 
But, 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 but my point is that there were times when, 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 when we were thought not to have souls either. You, you follow what I'm saying? It's crazy. But there, we're always saying somebody can't be saved. God can't. We can't do it in politics. We can't do it with any more than we can do it with people of other colors or ethnicities or nationalities. It's crazy. It's crazy. God is always doing more than you know. Be excited about that. Good things are happening. Good things are happening. All right? Then, then the next thing I want to say to you is this. That we, you have, if you've raised in this country, you've basically been raised in a country that's divided between left and right, between Democrat and Republican. Okay, whatever that means exactly politically, that's basically the way we think. The kingdom of God is not Republican. The kingdom of God is not Democrat. The kingdom of God is an alternate way of thinking. It's God's perspective. It's a different way of coming at it. And that's really what I'm going after today. I want you to approach politics. I'm not saying you have to remove yourself from your party affiliations. That's fine. Just don't think to the kingdom of God on earth. Realize that biblical thinking, that God's will, is different. In Leviticus 19 and verse 15, it says, uh, says something beautiful that I, that I like to quote a lot. Here, here's what it says. You know, normally we think of Democrats as defending, being the defenders of the poor, and Republicans being a little bit more about free markets and the wealthy and maybe even the rich. I know those are stereotypes, but let me just run with them for a minute. Leviticus 19:15. It says, do not pervert justice. Don't show partiality to the poor. And don't show favoritism to the great. Or the, the word there is actually wealthy famous. But judge your neighbor fairly. There's the kingdom perspective. Justice. Fair judgment. Not partiality for either one, which is what we often do in our human politics. God's perspective is something different. God's answer to poverty is passionate and generous, but different from what most people are thinking. It's multifaceted. It takes a lot of people doing a lot of different things. It's at a lot of different levels. You follow what I'm saying? It's, it's not just one quick answer, you know, oh, they need to get jobs or we just need to give them money or whatever simple answer. No, it's different. It's wiser. Let's be as creative and as wise as God is wanting us to be in answering the challenges of this age. Do you follow what I'm saying? I mean, thank God for it. Thank God for it. So don't, don't assume uh, that what you've been taught just because of whatever party affiliation you have or polit- political upbringing you have is the answer. Let's dig into scripture. Let's find the solutions. I love what you're doing with TGA. I love what you're doing with these roundtables that you have where people discuss things and bring truth out of this series. I'm privileged to be part of it because you're dealing with these tough, tough issues and, and, and not hiding from them. We may not have all the answers, but at least we can create a compassionate, loving, prayerful place to process them, right? I'm with you. Two more things very, very practically. Every so often, your country turns to you and asks you how you think things ought to go. It's called a vote. Now, I know I'm going to sound like a poster here, and I haven't been sent by anybody. I mean, I don't work for the voters administration or whatever. But you can't refuse to express your, your kingdom views at that moment because you think politics is too corrupt and too secular. Don't back away from the system. Let's fix it. Don't back away from politics. Yes, it's corrupt. Yes, there are people trying to manipulate it for their purposes. That's been going on for centuries. But God's trying to do something, and we're here, and we're called to be part of it. That's the issue. So vote. Vote the best you can. Listen to me. Most political decisions are decisions between hold your nose and hold your nose tighter. Okay? We're not voting between Jesus and the devil here. All right? We're not voting between angels and demons. Right? We're voting between two guys who both stink. Who's had the most recent shower? You know what I'm saying? That's, that's kind of where we are. I'm not, I'm, I'm just saying, you know, if you're waiting for the perfect person to vote for, you know, that's, that's where we set ourselves up to be deceived. 
Do the best you can. Vote with the best you understand. Immerse yourself in Scripture. Take counsel from people. Let's, let's, let's develop biblical answers to these things, and let's vote the best that we can. See? But, 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 but don't engage in an ungodly perfectionism. It ain't perfect. I won't be part of it. You won't be part of anything. If you're married, turn and look at your spouse right now. You want to leave that marriage because they're not perfect? Because they're not. I'm crazy about my wife. Imperfect. She's crazy about me. Imperfect. I've preached this morning. Decent. Imperfect. Lunch. Shush. (laughs) He's saying that because he doesn't have to preach. Your lunch will fill your tummy. It will be imperfect. Your waiter will be imperfect. Your kids will be imperfect when they get up in the morning. Your job will be imperfect. You follow what I'm saying? That new, that new dress will be imperfect. The new shoes will be imperfect. Whatever it is, your golf swing, the thing you think you're best at, imperfect. Everything's imperfect. We live in a fallen world, right? We're waiting for Jesus. He's the perfection. In the meantime, let's deal as much with the perfections and bring as much of God's righteousness as we can. Now, final thing I want to say. Play your role. Play your role. Some of you are sitting here this morning And while I'm talking, your hearts are burning within you. And it's not because I'm some powerful preacher. It's because I come from a realm you're called to. I work in politics to some degree. I've also been a pastor for years and whatever, but I work in politics. And your heart burns within you because I come from a realm you're supposed to be involved in. Some of you are supposed to run for office. Some of you, not all of you. A few of you, but some of you. Some of you are supposed to work in government agencies. I love sitting with a sister last night who is a, who is a public school counselor. Imagine what she's on the front lines of. Imagine the good she's doing. But I know Christians who would say, ah, public schools are evil. They're part of the Antichrist system. And, ah, let's come out of that. Says, ah, blah, 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 blah. You know what I'm talking about? Well, really? You're just going to punt 48 million children nationwide and not, not reach them, not take care of them, not love them, not be there when their families are broken, not be there when suicide ravages them, not be there in, in their troubled areas. I'm not trying to play up to anybody. This is, this is what I live. I believe we should be involved in the public sector because it's a realm in which God is working. Some of you lawyers need to be putting some time in there with pro bono, or maybe you need to work in there. Some of you have felt like, oh, I want to get involved, and I feel like maybe I need to be, want to be involved in the department of this or the department of that. And you thought, well, that's, is that too secular? Am I just... What? No, no. Take counsel with your pastors. Get good input. Don't make decisions on your own. But this is a realm we're called to. It's a realm we're called to. Not all of us. We're not all called to any one thing. Most of you aren't called to pastor. About three of you in the room called to pastor, right? I mean, that's just how it goes. But the rest of us are called to other things, and some of those things are in the public sector, and some of those things are in politics and government. Why? Because God's doing stuff. And because, by the way, if we're not exerting a righteous remnant influence in, in government, everything else is going to go to hell. I mean that literally. I'm not cussing. I mean, literally, everything else is going to go to hell. Because, as you just saw in First Timothy, uh, if we don't have righteousness, if we don't have peace, and we don't have the spread of the gospel, we don't have freedom for the church. We've got to be there to touch lives and help people. I know people say, well, the church should be providing the alternatives. Great. I can't take 48 million school children tomorrow. Can you? I love this church. You ready to take 100,000 public school kids? No. So let's get in the system and make a difference. Let's do what we're called to do. Fulfill your role. Take hold of your destiny. Respond to what you're meant to do. And for some of you, at least part of it, if not a lot of it, has to do with politics. It has to do with government. It has to do with leading. It has to do with having an impact in the public sector. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, 
please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.